right, we're going to begin talking about, we have two last areas of doctrine that we're going to talk about through the end of the year. We're going to try to stay on our schedule of moving through all 12 areas of doctrine in our 12 months. We got a little behind schedule. We have the doctrine of the government is number 11, and number 12 is the last days. And we're going to begin talking about uh, the government and the last days also today. We're going to kind of combine them. They kind of do go together. And uh, we're going to spend our remaining weeks talking about these. Look first at Isaiah uh, 9 and verse 6. And we're going to notice with the doctrine of government that this is a work of God, one of the three institutions he has set up that he's delegated his authority to. God is the one who has the authority to govern the earth. And specifically, he has assigned that authority to his son, Jesus. Having been born into it, he is given the right to rule over it. Uh, Jesus has that right as the Son of God, who is the Creator. And then He has that right as the Son of Man, the only perfect human that ever lived, and the only one worthy to take that position. And that's what's presented in Revelation. That there was no one worthy, found worthy of all men, but then it says the Lamb was worthy and he prevailed and he's given the seven sealed scroll which represents the final judgment and the authority over the earth and Jesus is the one that takes that and he has he has been given the position to be king over the earth and to take charge of it and so Jesus has the right to be the governing authority he's delegated that to human government in his absence let's look at isaiah 9 6 and see how this is presented clearly in the bible for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and notice very first thing after statement made after the coming of jesus of his being born and coming into Israel is the government's upon his shoulder. He's the rightful king of Israel. He should be the ruler of the government. And then Israel is given authority to be the head of all the other nations. And so it's a statement that he's going to be the king of the earth. This is what is emphasized in his coming into the world. And when Jesus was born, the angels proclaimed this. They said, there's a baby born in, and you'll find him in a manger in Bethlehem, and he is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the title Lord is another title for king, ruler, master over the earth. That's who he was. When he came into the world, he should have been uh, accepted as king over the earth, but he was rejected, and that was a part of even God used all of that as a part of his plan but notice he is the given the right to have the government here in Isaiah 9 6 
And it goes on, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so Jesus is clearly proclaimed as the one who will rule over the government over the earth. And when he was rejected in his coming to Israel, which God knew would happen, and God even ordained that it would happen that way in the context of the rebellion of sinful man, to then bring about the gift of eternal life, where in his rejection he would then become the sacrifice for sins, and those who then would repent and receive that sacrifice could come then into the kingdom with Jesus forever. And then we have this whole process being stretched out, really, that now Jesus has provided salvation, and then all who will repent and receive him get to come into that kingdom, and that's playing out over a couple thousand years to this point of people making that, having that choice to make, whether they will surrender to Jesus as Lord, King of their life, and in receiving the gift of eternal life and forgiveness because of his death and resurrection. Every person born of the world has that choice and has to deal with that choice. And when that time of choice is over, Jesus will return and assume his rightful place as king over the earth. Through the Old Testament prophets, they emphasized his role as king more than any other. Now, they pre it presents his sacrifice. Isaiah 53 is one example. Very clearly presents his death and his sacrifice for sins. But overall, most of the prophecies deal with like what Isaiah 9, 6 does here about his rule and his kingship, his authority as the government will be given to him. That is why Israel stumbled at him in some sense because number one, they didn't know all the scriptures. They weren't versed in what the scriptures taught and they only focused on the government aspect. And when he came, they thought he was going to take over right then and remove the Romans as their enemies. Even the disciples, you see that played out in the disciples. That's why they didn't understand the cross. And they were so disillusioned because they, we thought he was the one that was going to restore Israel. We thought he was going to be the king. They just didn't understand the timing. And then in Revelation, we have that presented very strongly uh, that his coming will be about taking over the rule of the earth. And we'll look at that in the coming weeks uh, in the context of the second coming. But let's think about how God has ordained government over the earth and it's given to Jesus, but in the interim, he has delegated it to human governments. 
those human governments are to rule in the uh, will of Jesus. We need to be clear. We, here's something I really want to emphasize. We need to be biblical in our thinking about these things. We have, I'm, I'm afraid, we have let our experience in America creep in in some ways to move us away from a biblical perspective of church and government and how it all works together. And even freedom of religion. Because we have so emphasized the separation of church and state and religious freedom and unbelievers have emphasized it so much in a... In, in an improper way, they've taken the separation of church and state and they have made it into something that is not accurate, even in the details of our country and our constitution. But biblically, they've gone way far away from it. And we as God's people have, I think we have been pulled that way also. Because understanding this truth is that government is instituted by God and it's instituted, it is specifically for Jesus. That means all human governments, what they're supposed to do is to be carrying out their governing authority in the will of Jesus. Looking at, say, what does Jesus want me to do? What does God want me to do? What does the Word of God say? Human government ought to be looking at the Bible and saying, what does God want me to do in carrying this out? But in our thinking, even in American Christianity, we're saying, oh, no, no, government can't, can't look to the Bible. No, 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 there's got to be a separation. Oh, no, 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 they can't talk about Jesus. Right now in our country, the situation is, and it's by and large accepted by most Christians, is that it is a constitutional crisis if you put a, a manger scene at the city hall, on city hall property. There will be lawsuits filed. In fact, I understand before we came to the area that that was an issue. That there was talk about putting a manger scene at city, uh, I don't know if it was the courthouse, county courthouse, or city hall, I don't know which. But there was talk about it, and, and there were lawyers who rose up and said, no, you can't do that. That will be a problem. We'll get in trouble. And they were Christian lawyers who did it in our area. Totally misunderstanding. They're totally getting far away from the biblical perspective. Government belongs to Jesus. And so there's no, no problem of putting up a manger scene on government property. That's a good thing. That's acknowledging who, her head is, who its head is. Now, the line we have to be careful about is we're never to use, Jesus never authorized, he never commanded that government is to use force or power to make people believe certain things. We have freedom of conscience. We have freedom of religion where someone does have the right to make their final decision and to be wrong if they want to choose to do that. They can freely choose to reject Jesus and to go to hell. They have the freedom to do that. But... That does not mean that then government is limited and the church is limited in proclaiming that information. I think that 
Biblically, we can even say as Christians that it is totally fine with government getting up and saying, Jesus is the Lord, and I encourage you to follow him and believe on him, but it's your choice. But I say, as President of the United States, that Jesus is Lord, and the Bible is the Word of God, and we ought to follow it as a nation. A president has every right to say that and ought to say that. And the best presidents in the past were ones who did. George Washington, in his writings, spoke of God the Creator and of the Lord repeatedly. In the Constitution, it is closed out. Uh, the Founding Fathers closed it out by saying, we write all these things in the year of our Lord, 1787. There was our founding political leaders writing a governmental document, the Constitution, and saying, we write this in the year of our Lord, Jesus. That's biblical. That's right. And we've got so far away from that. We've allowed the unbelievers to pull us so far away from that. Oh, no, 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 separate church state. We can't talk about that. No. The government belongs to Jesus. It's been delegated to man in his absence. And human government, the tragedy, part of the, uh, the, uh, the darkness on the earth is human government is rejecting the authority of Jesus over it. And in the end, that's how it's going to come to a head. It's human government is going to rise up and it's going to have a dominant leader who's going to succeed in gaining a world government influence, a domination. All the world's going to follow him and he's going to rise up and say, you follow me instead of Jesus. You worship me instead of Jesus. And it's all going to come at a, at, to a head about government. And so we need to understand how these are integrated. Now, there is a separation of some roles. There's the family, there's the church, and there's the government. The government. There is a separation of roles. And we talked about these in talking about the, the uh, areas of doctrine where the family has authority over personal life family life and development of individual the individual of the children given to them they have authority over that the government can't come in and tell them you need to teach your child this and this and this there is a separation of authority the children belong to the parents now the government has the authority to enforce civil laws of protecting people and so there is a, a, a government can step in legally if parents are committing crimes against their children harming those children yes the government has that job to step in and intervene in a sinful world where crimes are made if a parent is making is committing a crime against their child yes government can step in but if they're just if they're leading their child taking care of their child government can come and say you need to teach this this and this and that's what's happening today. It's that, that unbiblical government who's rising up trying to take over the family and the church and everything. That's socialism. That's the um, governmental plan of, of socialism where it takes over and dominates everything. 
And we have that happening with government now directing the public schools what to teach, and they're teaching all this nonsense of immorality and pushing immorality on children, corrupting them, and then teaching them uh, inaccurate views of life with uh, racial, uh, or on racial issues, critical race theory that's being taught in schools where the government's trying to dictate and manipulate and corrupt the teaching of the children. And you see that battle being played out across our nation. That's what happened in Virginia. Parents stood up in school board meetings and said, no, I don't want this taught to my child. And they were, you know, silenced. They were shut down. They were arrested. This is the battle between the separation of roles that's happening. So there's a separation uh, where the government role is forcing civil laws. That means they're not to come into the church and dictate to the church how the church is to operate in its ministry of what it's to do. It's not to limit the church in any way. People's freedoms aren't to be limited. You have all this. The Constitution lays this out in a pretty, uh, pretty thorough way. I think there are some, there are some, perhaps some holes that need to be filled in. But by and large, our Constitution with the Bill of Rights and Further amendments have addressed these things of how there's protection of the different roles. But there is a separation. It's the role of the church is not to go up to Congress and the state legislature and go into the session and say, okay, we're taking over. You guys sit down. We're now deciding everything. Well, no, we don't have that authority. We can speak and say, you ought to do this. God's word says this. This is what's right. We have every right to make our voice heard, even within the church. But it's not our right to go up and take over and say, we're going to vote now. You're not. You're out. We don't have that right. That's been delegated to them. They're responsible for God to carry out what is right with our civil laws in the context of the word of God. And that's where we're really missing it, uh, back to the original point, is our political leaders have little concept that they are there under the authority of Jesus and his word, and they ought to be looking to the Bible for how they carry out their decisions. They have no concept of that. In fact, if you bring that up, they'll object and say, no, 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 that is unconstitutional. And it's very, it ought to be, that is what, how they ought to be carrying out their work. To that point, let's go to Romans chapter 13 and see this stated very directly in the New Testament. Verse 1, Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. They're very clear wording that Government is God's idea, it's God's institution, and God has appointed it, God has set it up. He has delegated His authority to human leaders, and we are called to submit to that, that every soul be subject to the governing authorities. We are to respect the, uh, the office of government. It brings order to our society, and we ought to support that and abide by that. This is appointed by God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so there he says, government is God's minister. Government authorities are God's ministers. They're God's servants to carry out his will. And if we disobey government, we're disobeying God. God set it up. It's his work. And those governing authorities ought to have that consciousness. And they ought to be saying, I'm, I'm doing God's work. I need to carry out my work in consciousness of what God wants, what Jesus wants. But yet they do not think that way at all, and we Christians even don't think that way. But this is what God's Word says. Verse 5, Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so we are to submit to their authority and we are to pay taxes to operate that. But thankfully we have a voice, which is the biblical design is that the people have a voice to speak to their government leaders and we do. And we should exercise that to influence them. To influence them to carry out their decisions based on the Word of God and what is right. And we should do that individually, and we can do that as a church also. And appeal to them when they don't carry out their authority in the right way. We can appeal to them. When, when the taxes are way too high, like they are now, we can appeal to them and say, lower the taxes, stop the overspending. And that is the need of this hour, where we have this massive overspending and, uh, on, the, on the federal level, and taxes are going to go up. We have overspending, we have a lot of wasteful spending on the state level. You know, they've made tax cuts, but those probably won't last long because they just don't have the mentality of being efficient and responsible with the spending. We can, or to appeal to them to rule rightly. But the Bible tells us we are to submit to their authority. And remember... Paul was writing this when the authorities over Israel and over him were the Roman Caesars, who were unbelievers, who were pagan, and who were evil many times. And the only exception that we have to this, the Bible lays this out for us, is when the government tries to make us disobey the law of God, something that is wrong, not do something that we should do, <clears throat> then we are to disobey man and obey God. When the Roman authorities 
uh, well, the Jewish authorities really, uh, in the context of Acts, told them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. They said, we have to weigh God rather than man. They kept sharing him. We have that situation in our world today, in many countries, and it's becoming, it's becoming different aspects in our country. There's situations in the workplaces in our country where employees be told, you can't talk about that. Don't, don't mention Jesus. We have that same choice. And we must obey God rather than man. I want to come back and speak a word about, uh, and, and we as a church have a right to speak. We're not to be limited, but government has tried to do that. Back in, um, I believe it was 1954, Congress passed a thing called the Johnson Amendment that became a rule in the IRS. But it was a, it was passed by Congress. And it said that if a, I'm not sure if they singled out churches or just nonprofits, but they said it's gotten applied to all nonprofits that if they are tax exempt, then they cannot speak about political candidates, they cannot endorse political candidates, and they cannot speak about any political issues. And that has gotten applied to churches. And my position on that is that that is an unconstitutional rule or if it's a law, it's unconstitutional. And it is improperly limiting me as a pastor to speak and I won't abide by it. I believe it's the same situation of Acts 5. I got to obey God rather than man. Man has told me, you can't speak. You can't speak about this candidate who stands for saving babies. And you can't say anything and be involved in that political decision. And I won't be limited by that. God says, the church and me as a, uh, a preacher of God's word, I am to preach the word. I am to stand up for what is right and wrong. I am to speak against what is wrong and speak to even governing authorities to say, this is right, this is wrong. You need to do what is right. And many times that comes up in political issues. Many of the political issues are moral issues. And we are to, uh, as a church, we're to speak certainly about moral issues. We're not to be limited. And so the Johnson Amendment uh, unbiblically and unconstitutionally limits the church and I won't abide by it. That is where we are to, we can engage in civil disobedience and to obey what God says. And that's why I will, I will speak here about political candidates. Now say this person stands for what is biblical. This person supports what is evil. What the Bible says is an abomination of God. This person supports that and identifies with that and accepts that. And I'll tell you, don't vote for that person. That is my job to do that here as a servant of God. And this is also a part of the, uh, how we gotten off track in our government. And many times we're in this position. We have to do what is right 
Even if government, if government does go astray and tries to limit us, we have to obey God and pay whatever consequences that there are. And so we have many of these issues that, we, that are, do apply to us with the government, and we need to understand them uh, biblically. And so government is the authority of Jesus on the earth, and it is delegated to, to human uh, government human leaders and um, we need to encourage them of that truth you know we need to speak this to them it's the truth whether they realize it or not whether they really even accept it or not we need to share that with them that their job as a legislator in the state or in the congress or any government job you're god's minister You've been appointed by God, and you're to carry out your job according to God's will and God's word of what is right and what is wrong. And they are responsible to do that. Again, holding the line that at no point Jesus never authorized his servants to advance his kingdom through force never he never authorized forcing the gospel saying you have to believe he also said tell everybody tell them implore them to come but you cannot force someone at the edge of a sword or a law to repent and believe on christ uh, that is improper, and we've always maintained that freedom. That's, free, that's what freedom of religion means, is they can make that, con in their conscience, they can make their choice of how they respond to God and Jesus and his salvation. But even government has every right to promote that. They can promote it, and that's not forcing anybody, but they can speak of it, and they can... Uh, uh, advocate for it but they should never try to force it for someone to about to uh compel someone to believe they cannot compel a conscience they cannot compel a heart that is why on the flip side all these mandates are so wrong of taking the vaccine the government should approach it the same way they're wrong about it they but they can promote the vaccine all they want until the next election, <laughs> and then we'll have something to say about that. They can promote it all they want, but they have no right to force somebody to take a medication against their will. And this is the abuse of government that we are dealing with. They ought to carry out their, their rule in the authority of Jesus and ask him what he wants them to do and one day they will give an account for that when he comes all right let's pray thank you lord for your wise design of government and for the peace and order the law and order that it brings we pray that you would give us wisdom in dealing with our 
governments today, state, local, state, and national that are, are, have gotten, who go off track many times. <clears throat> Give us wisdom of these truths and help us to advocate for your truths and help our government leaders to see how responsible they are to do what's right according to the word of God. May you give us good leaders who have this understanding and who will serve in office, understanding they serve under the delegation of Jesus. And he is the Lord and we're to carry out his will while respecting the freedom of choice. Give us wisdom in these things. Give us wisdom in dealing with the, uh, the vaccine mandates and give us protection and a refuge in the coming days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.